Revelation chapter 19. We started this chapter about three weeks ago and um, got just about halfway through. So start with me, please. Look at verse 11 of Revelation chapter 19. We'll read down from verses 11 down through verse 16, and then we'll pray and then get into the message for this morning. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron." And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful description of our Lord Jesus Christ. And speaking of his literal bodily return in power and glory to this earth. And we pray, Father, I pray for the help of the Holy Spirit in bringing forth the message today, Lord, that you would just fill our hearts with love for the Lord and love for the Bible and a real desire uh, to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords and a desire to see him as we sang, even so come, precious Lord Jesus, may that be the heart's cry of our lives. In the meanwhile, Help us to be faithful. I pray, Lord, that your word would speak to every heart today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Revelation chapter 19, we, when we get to this point, when we reach this in reality, this will be the time that everything is pointing to in Scripture. The return of Christ to the earth. And so by this time, or when this event is, is, going, is happening, uh, we, the Lord will have already come in the rapture um, to take the believers out of this world. So we will be with him, those of us who are saved. Uh, the tribulation will be rapidly coming to an end. And Christ will be coming, and this depicts and describes his coming to the earth. And notice it talked in there, we read about him coming to rule the earth. He will be king upon the earth, and he will rule. And praise the Lord for that. What a, wow, what a difference it's going to be. And as the Lord leads, we will take some time um, at some point and just look at some of the things the scripture says, what that kingdom is going to be like. There are just hundreds of verses in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Describing what that kingdom is going to be like when Jesus comes back to earth. All right? So, let's get ready. Let's look at it here. Verses 11 to 16, which I read, is the vision of the king. All right? The vision of the king. And so, verse 11, I saw heaven open, 
As John is writing this, as the Spirit of God reveals this to him, he sees heaven open, and behold, a white horse. Of course, the white horse speaks of purity, of power, of conquering. Uh, you know, Jesus is coming back again, and uh, way different than he came the first time, obviously. Um, he's coming back. He came first as a lowly servant to die on the cross for our sins, to purchase our salvation, and all the things that go along with that, to train his disciples, to, to give us an example of how to live in this world, all these things. And then he's, gone, he's, in, he's back in heaven now. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's our great high priest. He's, he's the head of the church. He's so many things. And then he's coming back. And when he comes, he's coming as a conquering king. He's coming in vengeance. He's coming in judgment. And so... And, and he is described here. Notice it goes on to say in verse 11, he that sat upon him, that is he that sat upon the horse, is called faithful. Faithful. And the Lord Jesus Christ, one thing that describes him, faithfulness. He always honors his, his person, his word. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. He never makes a mistake. He never sins. He's also, he is, he is true. And true here is the idea of, of truthful, honest, but also loyal, faithful and true to the cause, to his father, to his word, to the purpose for which he came into the world and the purpose for which he shall return to this earth. And in righteousness. And the idea there is of, of absolutely right, holy, pure, proper, upright. Um, there's nothing unrighteous. There is no, and obviously when it says, in righteousness he doth judge. And so the judgments of the Lord are always true and right. There is never a miscarriage of justice. He never judges wrongfully. He never rules in the wrong way. He never takes a bribe. He never, you know, he, he just always, everything he does is right and proper. And so when he comes, there is, he has quite an agenda, if you will. There's a lot of things that Jesus will do when he comes back to earth. And some of those are listed here in the chapter and some are listed elsewhere and so we'll take a look at some of these as, as time goes by. And so he doth judge, but also he makes war. But notice it says, in righteousness, he doth judge and make war. So the and connects judge and make war. So in righteousness, he will make war. So in other words, sometimes war is necessary. Sometimes war is right, and sometimes war is exactly what has to be done. All right? And when Jesus comes back to earth, there's going to be a war. And it's going to be probably the shortest war ever. <laughs> I mean, they're going to go against him. Are, are you kidding me? The armies of the earth, they're going to try to oppose the Lord Jesus Christ. And so sometimes, you know, there's... there's Talk about cleaning house. We talk about that in a number of ways. Um, the president has made this comment often about draining the swamp. I, I don't know that that's been happening, but anyway, uh, Jesus is going to drain the swamp when he comes, and Jesus is going to clean house, and Jesus is going to do some things that need to be done. 
in this world. And it's going to be, of course, for us, it's going to be the greatest time. It's going to be the joy, most joyful time ever. Of course, not so for his enemies, those who rejected him, and so forth. And so here it goes on. It, it describes his person here. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Again, that's the idea of judgment and discernment, that the Lord Jesus will look right into the hearts of people. We were talking about that a little bit in Sunday school day. Sometimes when Jesus was on the earth, somebody would ask him a question. And the answer he gave didn't seem like it answered the question. I mean, and why? Well, because the Lord, he, he had the advantage over us. He knew it. He went right to the heart, literally, of the question. For example, there was a fellow, there wasn't really a question, but this one young man came to Jesus and said, I will follow thee, whithersoever thou goest. Man, doesn't that sound great? When we, I mean, we'd love that, right? Every preacher, pastor would love somebody to say, hey, I'm going to follow the Lord. Every, I want to follow the Lord. We'd say, oh, yes, we'll sign you up. But anyway, uh, Jesus said the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Doesn't sound like he really answered the question, but he did. He knew why that young man wanted to follow the Lord. They had just witnessed the feeding of the multitudes. Hey, I'll follow Jesus. Man, if I get sick, you'll heal me. If I get hungry, you'll feed me. If I need anything, you'll give it to me. That's just like so many people today. Just take, you know, take, take, take. Whatever they want, whatever they can get. Anyway, there's a lot, boy, I'll tell you, we could, there's a lot of applications there. But, but anyway, his eyes were as a flame of fire. And that's, again, judgment and discernment. He see, he'll see right through everybody. And on his head <clears throat> were many crowns. Crown him with many crowns, right? The lamb upon his throne. See, that speaks, obviously, of authority and power and kingdom. And, of course, in Revelation, the end of chapter 4, the Bible says that we will cast our crowns before his throne at his feet. And so Jesus is depicted as wearing many crowns because of many victories and conquering. And the fact that we, his people, will crown him in that day. Back in Revelation chapter 6, it talks about somebody wearing a crown. And, and obviously that in the context there, it's pretty obvious that that's talking about not Christ, but the Antichrist on a white horse in chapter 6 with all the, all the things break loose on the earth. Jesus, when he comes, is not going to have a crown. He's going to have many crowns, all right? Many crowns written that no man knew but he himself. See, there's a secret name. It's interesting that one of the names of Jesus in prophecy is the name Wonderful. He shall be called Wonderful. And one of the, def the, the, one of the main definitions of the Hebrew word translated Wonderful is secret, supernatural. And so it's a name that only he knows. And he was dipped, verse 13, in a vesture dipped in blood. Now, Jesus shed his blood for us on the cross, but that blood here is the, is the picture of a wine press. We already talked about that in uh, earlier chapter 16 and 14. And Jesus, it's the idea that he's treading out the wine press of the wrath of God. And so the prophet Isaiah depicted him as wearing a garment dipped in the blood or stained with the blood of his enemies. Again, that's another term to describing a conqueror victorious and his name is called the word 
of God. Notice capital. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. First John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. So one of the eternal titles of Christ is the Word of God. He's also the eternal Son, S-O-N. But the Word, the Word, the Word of God, the Word there is Logos, which means the, in this case of Christ, it means the visible manifestation, representation of the invisible God. It's the idea that Jesus Christ is God fully. And he comes to earth to manifest, to declare, to reveal, to represent God on the earth. And so his title, his name is called the Word of God. Amen. He is the Word. He is the incarnate Word. And we have the inspired word in our hands, and they go together. But folks, this is, our, this is our conquering Savior. This is our Lord. This is the one we serve. This is the one who said, it is finished, when it, just before he died. It is accomplished. It is perfected, is the idea of that word teleos. So it's done, it's accomplished, it's finished, it's perfected. The work of redemption. And because he did that, he could do this. See? The cross before the crown. As it were. The gore before, gory before glory. Suffering before salvation. Right? And he went, that, he, he went upon that road. This is, this is a, just a, a tremendous picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, we've never seen him. If you think you have, we need to talk. But none of us have ever seen Jesus, right? People claim they have, but they haven't. The Bible says they haven't. Nobody's going to see him until he comes back. Verse 14, do you like to ride horses? Have you ever ridden a horse? It's been a long time. I rode him a couple times. But we're going to ride horses too. Verse 14, the armies which were in heaven followed him. That's, of course, angels and us. The Bible says that when he comes back to earth, and remember this is talking about coming back to earth, Jesus said he will come with the saints and with the holy angels. Man, I, I can't, there's no way. We can't even describe that. We, there's no way that we can paint any kind of a word picture. So, But the word of God says the armies which were in heaven, followed him upon white horses. That means because we're, we're in the army of the king of kings. But notice what else it says, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now, now let's talk about us, not the horses, right? But what does that mean? Well, fine linen, as it talks about in earlier in the chapter, fine linen is the righteousness of saints. In other words, the righteousness of God's people. So we will be clothed in white as a reminder that we are not righteous 
in and of ourselves, but we are righteous in him. Again, talk going back to Jesus Christ on the cross. And one of the reasons that he died, I mean, the main reason that he died was to save us from our sins, from our sins. Not in our sins, from our sins. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. She shall bring forth a son. And thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So when he finds us, when we're saved, he finds us in our sin, but he doesn't leave us there. Praise the Lord for that. He saves us from sin. I don't know about you, but one of the things I think about when it, when it talks about the Lord's coming, and <clears throat> we read that this morning, that we're, we will put on immortality. This mortal, in other words, this perishing, this dying, will put on immortality, or eternity. And so, anyway, and this corruptible must put on incorruption. We're perishing. Whether we like to realize it or not. Um, anyway, but, and the Bible tells us that, that even as believers, we still sin. Sin's a part of our life. You know, read Romans chapter 7. Probably the greatest servant of God that ever lived, the greatest man of God besides Jesus Christ, was the Apostle Paul. And he referred to himself as, Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death, or this body of death? So Paul faced it every day. I said all that to say this. One of the things that I'm looking forward to being with the Lord is that that I will never be able to sin again. Now think about that. Now every time we get tempted, we don't necessarily sin. But we have thoughts that we shouldn't have. We say words we shouldn't say. We do things we shouldn't do. Plus, we don't do the things we should do many times, right? So that's all sin, sin. We won't be able to do that. I, can't, I, don't imagine, I can't imagine what that's like. We won't, we won't be tempted. I mean, the tempter will be gone forever. Our sin nature, our flesh, our old nature <clears throat> will be gone We will be clothed as a, as a reminder, part, you know, at least partly we'll be clothed in fine linen, white and clean as a reminder. But again, it's not a reminder of us so much, is it? It's a reminder of him. I know we, 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 us preachers are always saying favorite verse, favorite verse, favorite verse. But if there's one, if, if I ever had to be, you know, somebody said you got, you got to pick your favorite verse, it would be this. For he hath made him. To be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Second Corinthians five twenty one. And I'm still trying to get my my mind around that one. I mean, I mean the part about you know God made Jesus to be sin. In other words, He poured out His wrath upon Jesus Christ as if He were sin, as if He were a sinner, and also means that He took all of our sins put them on the Lord Jesus and punished him for our sin. So, because of all that, fine linen, white and clean, 
And by the way, that all these everything else pales compared to the fact that we'll be able to see him. Uh, do you ever do you think about that? Do you ever think about that we're going to see him face to face? Now, what how you think about that t- tells a lot about your relationship and fellowship with the Lord. If that's scary, I mean, it is. I guess, it has to be a little bit to all of us, but just that we're going to see our Savior face to face. Again, the hymn, face to face. We will see him, finally see him. Verse 15, out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, the people of earth, the nations of earth, the rejectors, those who followed Antichrist, those who persecuted believers, those who blasphemed in the, in, the, in the face of God. But that sword, what is that sword? Jesus is seen as with a sword coming out of his mouth. And, and the Bible often, often, often compares the word of God to a sword. Let me read you one verse. There's many, but Hebrews 4.12. I should be able to quote it, but anyway, 4.12. My mind just went blank. 412, yes. For the word of God is quick. Quick there means alive. And powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the word of God. That's, you know, that's the sword that Jesus will have with him because the Bible says in the Old Testament... Isaiah and in 2 Thessalonians that Jesus will destroy the wicked with the breath of his lips. In other words, he will just speak. And they they will be destroyed. They will be vanquished and killed and and all those kinds of things. And so, um, and then Ephesians tells us that the sword of the spirit is the word of God. And so it's referring to his, again, his word. And there's a lesson that we can learn, and, and it's all it's been impressed upon me many, many times in reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that was the value and the importance that Jesus himself placed on the Bible. You know, he, he, he just gave the scriptures. The Almighty God on earth, face to face with the devil. What did he do? He used the Bible. What a lesson. We need to have more faith. I do, and every, every believer. We need to have more faith in the Word of God. I believe that we need to be more efficient in using the sword. Right? And so Jesus, out of his mouth, goeth a sharp sword, that with it, the sword, he should smite the nations. And of course, we're going to see more of that at the end of the chapter. He's coming to conquer The world is just not going to automatically be ready for the king. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. In other words, that's the idea that he is going to to have a perfect rule and kingdom. He's going to have all power, but it's going to be in righteousness. It's going to be in peace. It's going to be with iron. In other words, he's going to enforce the law of the kingdom. 
completely and fully and righteously. Right? It'll be right. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And to understand in any way the wrath of God, we need to understand the wrath of Almighty God. We need to understand the holy nature of God. The fact that God hates sin. God hates iniquity. God hates lawlessness. He hates rebellion against him and his word. And, I, and I really, most likely, the thing God hates the most is, when, is people who do not believe in his son, who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, and who follow after something else. All the religions of the world, all these so-called gods, little g, they have names, like Allah and Buddha and all these, all these God hates them. Not the, he doesn't hate the people. He loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. He hates false doctrine. He hates false teaching because it goes against his son. The precious Lord Jesus died on the cross. The Bible today in many places is, is classified as hate literature. Hate literature. Can you imagine a book that contains, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, whosoever believed in him should not perish everlasting life? That's now called hate speech. Of course, they don't mean, they're not necessarily talking about John 3.16, obviously. They're talking about the parts of the Bible that say, you know, a man shouldn't marry a man, and a woman shouldn't marry a woman, and you shouldn't murder the unborn, and, you know, stuff like that. Of course, they hate that. But listen, that's the truth. God loves us enough to tell us the truth. And he loves us enough to try to, to guide us in the truth. All right. Verse 16. <clears throat> and he hath on his vesture, and there is his garment, and on his thigh, a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, when the angel announced to the shepherds the birth of, this, of Jesus, they said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Well, he's coming back as sovereign. Hebrews says that it's appointed men once to die after this the judgment, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And to them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin. So when Jesus comes back the second time, he's not bearing our sins. You know, that's over. He's coming back as the sovereign. He's coming back as king of kings, lord of lords. So in other words, he's king over all kings. He's lord of all lords. It also tells us that he is above every king and every lord. It was common in those days for a captain or a general or, or somebody with authority to ride on a white horse and to have on their side, and even going down their leg, a title to identify who they were. And even, you know, military people, you can, you can tell by their stripes and so on what they are, well, with their rank or whatever. Well, Jesus, this is really, this is his title. This is, what his, this is his claim, if you will, to the earth. It's on his vest, on his side, on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Man, amen, wow. 
And he doesn't, it's gonna, he doesn't, he's not going to ask for a constitutional amendment. He's not going to call Congress and see if it's okay with them or the Civil Liberties Union or any of these other goofy groups. He's not going to get their permission. By the way, just like we don't need permission to live for the Lord, share the gospel, we have that responsibility from God. But anyway, King of Kings. Lord, Lord, there's going to be a meeting, all right. In fact, let's get to it. All right, we're going to get to the end here. And so um, this is the vision. I mean, obviously, we could spend message after message after message dealing with those six verses. And it's important because this is our Savior. This is my Jesus and your Jesus, if you're saved. This is our Christ. This is the one that we have worshipped and served and tried to share with the world. And he's coming. Oh, he's coming one of these days. And so here's the victory. Verse 17, and I saw an angel, precious angels of God, once again doing their part, announcing. And I saw an angel standing in the sun. Cried so that way, so in other words, so he can be well seen, well heard. He cried a loud voice, saying to all the fowls, all the birds, that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. You know, it's so so precious how all the Bible fits together. Genesis chapter 1, it says, God made the fowls to fly in the firmament of heaven. And here they are. These birds, or these fowls, are referred to by the angel that fly in the midst of heaven, right right along, right in between earth and the sky, in the sky, the firmament. And he says to them, this is his announcement, come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God. That ye may, excuse me, that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. So the angel invites the birds, come to God's great supper. You're going to feast on flesh. You're going to feast on dead people. Oh, great. What a great thing to talk about, right? But you know something we're going to, well, we're going to, we're going to elaborate on some of this stuff as the Lord leads in the days ahead. Remember, these are all the ungodly. These are the blasphemers. These are the ones that just shook their fists and railed on God and followed Antichrist and killed Christians and received the mark and did all these things against God. And they had opportunity. According to Matthew and Mark, Jesus said, before this day, the gospel will be preached in all nations to all men. So these people had their chance, but they rejected. And they just did all, you know, they just did all everything they could against, against the Lord. All right, so. And I saw the beast. Here we go, verse 19. Here's the, here's the gathering. And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, <clears throat> and the kings of the earth and their armies. Notice, the kings of the earth, all in rebellion against God, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his 
army. Thousands against one. Not fair, but you know that's all they could come up with is thousands. <laughs> I remember reading or watching or an episode of time about this guy, him and his buddy, they were, they were surrounded by like 20, and his guy goes, well, there's 20 of them. He said, well, I know, but that's all they could come up with. <laughs> They anyway, they whooped him anyway. <laughs> but I mean, it's 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 it's. I mean, it's amazing. Do they they really think? Of course, according to the prophecies um, given in the Old Testament and in the Gospels, what's happening here is the purpose of the Antichrist. He's gathered all his armies together to go to surround Jerusalem to once and for all destroy Jerusalem and all and the Jews, and so. And it talks about that. In fact, you know, Jesus said, when you, when you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, look, look up, for your redemption draweth nigh. And so that's what they're doing. They're going to destroy Jerusalem, but before they can do a thing, or many things, something's going to happen. They're going to see heaven open. And they're going to see the Lord Jesus, and so they're going to go after him. Like many foolish people who think they can fight against God. And so here's what happens. Him that sat on the horse and against his army. So they're, they're going to make war against the Lord Jesus. And the beast was taken, all right, the Antichrist. And with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before, before him <clears throat> with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. And we've, we've covered a lot of those things. These both, that is the Antichrist, the false prophet, you know, Christ is going to go after the leaders first. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. Notice, alive, alive, alive. Now, here's a reference. Look over the page to chapter 20. All right, this is the thousand-year reign. Look at verse 7. When the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. We'll, again, we'll get to that. And shall go out to deceive the nations who are in the four corners of the earth, Gog may God, to gather them together to battle. These are people that will, will be born during the kingdom and who, will, who, who will, turn, will follow after the devil at the end of the millennium. To gather together about the number of whom is as a sanity. They went up on the breath of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about in the beloved city, and fire came down from God of heaven, devoured them, and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Jesus comes down to earth. First thing he does, he takes a hold of the beast, the Antichrist, the false prophet, cast them alive into the lake of fire. 1,000 years later, the end of the millennium, the devil gets, you know, is loose and so on. And it says that he, the devil is cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. So after 1,000 years, the beast and the false prophet are still in the lake of fire. And it says they shall be tormented for day and night forever and ever. Verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now we'll get to that passage here in a couple, in a, a few, a couple weeks or so. But, no, but no, listen, that is the destiny of every person who does not receive Christ as Savior. Whoever is not written in the book of life will end up in the lake of fire. 
and torment forever and ever. All right, so, so that's what happens when Jesus comes down to earth. He takes the Antichrist, false prophet, casts him into a lake of fire, verse 21, and the remnant, that is all the rest, the army, all those, were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the, the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. The book of Ezekiel tells us that there is going to be, they're going to eat the flesh, but not the bones. <laughs> and the Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, they're going to have people of, of continual employment. They're going to hire people to go looking for bones, body parts, and bury them at the end of the tribulation. That's how this, that's how this is going to be. And anyway, <clears throat> God always does what's right, right? He always does what's right. And the fact is that every human being deserves the same fate, but Jesus intervened when he died on the cross. He bore our sins. The Bible says he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That ye being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you are healed. Right? So only through Christ can we be delivered from our sin, from the wrath to come, from eternity in the lake of fire. Have you trusted him? Do you know him as your savior? Have you come to realize that, that, that you are a sinner? As the Bible says, all have sinned come short of the glory of God, and that no one can have our, their sins forgiven but through Jesus Christ. No one can be saved. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, John said. Only him, only Jesus can save. And because of what he's done as Savior, he and he alone is authorized and qualified to judge. So it is him that we will give account to. Christians, one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for how we've lived our life as a Christian, how we've served the Lord. Now, then, chapter 20, Revelation, the great white throne judgment is for all the unsaved to get their final punishment in the lake of fire. But again, who's on that throne? It's Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he has the authority to judge. Well, he came, when the Lord Jesus came to earth the first time, he came as a baby, born of the Virgin Mary, conceived by the Holy Spirit. It was a miraculous birth, announced by the angels who heralded his birth. He lived a humble life of service, total submission to the will of God, which included his suffering and death on the cross for our sins. He rose from the grave, Extended and ascended back to heaven, sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, is Christ, Jesus Christ is coming back, not as a baby, nor to live a humble life, but as King of kings and Lord of lords, to vanquish his enemies, gather his people, and reign in power for 1,000 years on this earth. What a time that will be. Believers, we will reign with him. Imagine that. We'll, have part, we'll be part of in his kingdom. And how we need to be ready. How we need to be ready for his coming. The verse that's in the bulletin today, scripture for a day, it is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. 
If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we can have in thy word today. May the word of God continue to speak to our hearts. May we think about our Lord Jesus Christ and the the wonder of his coming and how he is depicted here in this chapter. My, he is our Savior. He's our King. Father, if I may use the word in the right way, he is our hero. He's everything to us. We praise thee for him. Lord, please work in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books again. Turn, please, to number 148. Hymn number 148, we're going to sing um, some verses of this hymn. As a a challenge, an encouragement to us to, um, to know the Lord. Follow the Lord, be faithful to the Lord. Um, number 148, where Jesus find us watching. Let's stand, please. Stand, please. We're going to sing the first and the fourth verses. I just encourage you to think about the words as we sing and just think about what we have spoken of today. Um, thankfully, that the Holy, thankfully that the Holy Spirit will take that word and use it. And if we can give help to anybody today, this is such, you know, it's, it's both a joyous and a solemn thing to think about the Lord's return. Revelation 1, right early in the chapter says, every eye shall see him. Every, every one, every eye shall see him. So, praise the name. I hope that's a, say something that you're longing for. Anyway, let's sing. When Jesus comes to reward his servant. 